Amen. Welcome. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be able to um, come and share in the Christmas season and be able to um, present within, um, again, our, our Christmas flavored. I mean, and when we say Christmas, we don't mean in the sense of Santa and all the rest of it. Obviously, we mean within the context of the gospel and what that means for us and how important that is for us to reflect on. Even though, again, you know, Christ doesn't reflect on his birth in the way that obviously others might have, but the reality is, is that the nativity is there, clearly, at least in two Gospels, as we witness it. So we will focus on that in this season. And again, the Christmas witnesses, or the nativity, witnesses to the nativity, as we've entitled this series, um, we're going to be looking at Luke 2, 1 to 20 today, and we're going to be focusing on the shepherds <clears throat> and the shepherds and what they contribute to the story of the gospel. Now, be it known, Pastor B's prayer is going to be heard because as I was studying for this, I found that the word in itself is so clear about how God fulfills the role of the shepherds and what they contribute even to just be a witness at the nativity. And so I'm going to let the word in many ways just speak for itself. So I'm going to be reading passages at length and I'm sure you will see what I mean. But by way of introduction, one of the things that is behind this idea of Christ superseding, even in, the, even in that nativity scene, is that the gospel doesn't really cater for nostalgia. You know, in nostalgia in our times is always that we look back to some past time and think, wow, wasn't everything so much better? Weren't politicians, as they would say, is that song, um, the, was it the sunscreen song, isn't it? Po politicians were more nobler. Do you know what I mean? Everything was better back in the day. But what we have within the context of the gospel and the biblical narrative is rather than seeing things getting worse and worse, is that things are actually getting better and better. The gospel is the good news. And to some extent, what we find over the period, at least um, the period of Israel, some 1,000 years leading up to Christ, is that gospel becoming more and more clearer? You know, we tease it in Jeremiah, you know, a new covenant. But when it comes, it's actually the fact that Christians have the right to be hopeful. In other words, hopeful people really have little place for nostalgia. And so that's what we think about as we look at this whole idea of superseding. The best is yet to come. God has got more in store for us. And where do we see this? Again, you know, we can point to many texts, but Haggai 2.9 says this. Remember that the context of this was that they were coming, the children of Israel were coming back from the Babylonian captivity. And as they were coming back into the Babylonian captivity and they started rebuilding, they were rebuilding with limited resources. And as they rebuilt the temple, the temple of looked nothing like David, or should we say Solomon's temple, because they were used inferior material. Remember in the days of, of Solomon, he used the best of the best. 
people from Tyre, the best resources and everything. When they were rebuilding, they were rebuilding on a budget. And those who probably were little children when they first left and saw the temple and knew the temple, they cried when they saw the inferiority of the temple in comparison to what it used to be. And Haggai says this to them who were crying. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So there's that issue of the nostalgia getting the better of us, where we are thinking, man, we are not moving forward. We're actually moving backwards. And Haggai says, no, actually, the glory of this house would be better. Why? Well, we see that finally because Jesus walks into this very temple. The glory of the Lord that came in Solomon's day and filled the temple was such that it was a cloud. And glorious it was, but now we have the word of God come and he walks in to this new temple. That's the greater glory. Where we might be looking and saying, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a better building, a more superior building. No. And by the time, obviously, Herod gets his hands on it, it will actually look more impressive. But that's not even what God was talking about because the glory that he says is that Jesus would walk into that very temple and be that glory. So we have every reason to be hopeful. Every reason to believe that what God does next is going to be better than what he has done before. So this week, as I said, we're going to be looking at the shepherds and we're going to look at them within the context of Luke 2, verses 1 to 20. So please turn with me as we read from there. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but please follow in whatever translation you have. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a man lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying 
in a manger. And when they saw it, they made it known, the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Told them. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we dive into this um, understanding of the role of the shepherd there, Lord God, in the context of the biblical narrative, Lord, give us um, ears to hear there, Lord. Give us a mind there, Lord, to understand how this is being played out even to this very day in our lives, Lord, as believers. This is not us just merely looking into ancient history and seeing what you've done in old, but us, Lord God, even as has already been said, Look in there, Lord God, with hope into our present life and even into our future of how you have fulfilled and superseded the shepherd there, Lord God, and been the overseer of our souls in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things we were exploring in this series is that those who are called into the nativity scene were they just randomly people who just kind of showed up, you know? And in a sense, there was, you know, as we look at this, was it just that the shepherds were available? You know, when you look about who was going to maybe be up, I mean, everybody kind of pictures this happening at night time, but the reality is we don't know. There's no mention there that it was dark and, and all the rest of it, but as they were tending their flock, so to speak, when Mary had given birth. We don't know what day or what time that was. What is really happening? And now, one of the things that I suspect is that these shepherds were called because that role of shepherd that so many people had probably used, and as we'll explore a little bit today, was being fulfilled in a way. As we saw with the priesthood last week, we will see with the shepherds this week that those who are called to give witness and to bear witness to what is happening is that the Lord is now saying, here is the hope for the future. Here is someone who will look over your souls in ways that you would expect, you hadn't, you hadn't expected before. But We'll see more about this as we go through the text. So what I want to start with today is, who are the witnesses? Well, they're the shepherds. With the shepherds, we faced with two opposing truths about, the, about their role as it's understood in the ancient world. Two opposing views, or seemingly opposing views, should I say. Firstly, they were despised as being a lowly trade. They could be the type of people who were so low down in the social hierarchy that the sheeps and the goats they looked after were considered to be of greater value than them. One of the texts I will go to for this is Genesis 46, 31 to 34, and this is what it says. 
Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go and tell Pharaoh, and he will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they had brought their flocks and their herds, and all they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." You see what Joseph says? I mean, obviously, he's not lying. He says they, they do actually tend to flocks. But in order for them to get a separate land, and a land away from the, the normal Egyptians, he's told to say, make sure you make a, a special mention of the fact that you're shepherds. Because it's a despised profession. And so... He does, and they said, well, fair enough, we want these people away from the normal folk who probably might look down on them because obviously Joseph is so big in their eyes, maybe we don't want him, uh, the, the fellow Egyptians looking down on these people. And so we got that picture that within the ancient world, they were not favoured people. The second, and now this kind of lays in stark contrast to what we previously said, is that the ancient kings would lay claim to the epitaph that is the label of being a shepherd to their people. So that's a strange irony, isn't it? That kings themselves would call themselves shepherds to the people. What seems to be at work is this idea that a king who serves his people so that's the way what they wanted to do. I'm, I'm here, I'm a public servant, so to speak. I look after you. But in reality, it was probably a kind of false humility. Isaiah 44, 28, for example, says this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purposes, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. So even the great King Cyrus, ruler of the earth at the time, obviously, of the Persian Empire, has this epitaph of being the shepherd. And this was obviously true of many kings, that role of, I am the shepherd to the people. So that's the contrast we have. Now, we want to look at, well, what's the significance of this role, especially within the, the context of the Bible? What we see throughout the biblical text is that both these statements of the shepherd are held to be true. One, it was truly a lowly profession, but at the same time, there was something aspirational about the whole idea of being a shepherd to the people. So, in many ways, it was like a training ground. For how would I show myself to be a caring person? But when we, look at the, when we look at the history of the Bible, there are two particular leaders that kind of feel this role of being moving from shepherd to ruler. And to some extent, we know this would never have been true of any other king or any other ruler outside of Israel. Israel. 
but yet within the context of Israel, God takes his role of shepherd seriously. And rather than look at it as a despised profession, kind of looks at it as a place where people learn to serve God by taking care of those things which seem, to some extent, to be less important than people. But you learn. The first of which of these I call epochal Israelite leaders. Epochal meaning of great significance for their time. In other words, setting a precedent is Moses. Exodus 3.1 says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Moses starts out, not just, I mean, he's not even looking after his sheep, he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And Moses was called from the flocks after he ran away from his life in the palace of Pharaoh. So this is that, that huge step down into, again, a despised profession. I mean, and remember, he's living. Nothing, the irony of that probably would never have been lost because, again, Joseph tells about how the, the Egyptians despised shepherds. And so the irony of this would never have been lost that here was I, someone in the palace of Pharaoh, and now all of a sudden I'm in the back end of the wilderness tending sheep. And to some extent, maybe Moses thought his life in public service was over. It was done. There's no coming back from this. Yet the Lord calls him, as we see in Exodus 3.1. So the role of Moses was to establish the people of Israel in the land. And that's his great testimony that what he somehow has learned in taking care of shepherds in the wilderness now becomes true of the people of God. I will now take them out of Egypt through the wilderness and lead them. And no doubt the skills of the shepherd were incorporated into that. In that sense, Moses was not just a figurative shepherd to the people. He was literally a shepherd to the people as well. Again, what was said of Moses, isn't it? The most humble man on the earth. And here he is. The second now is David. David we meet in 1 Samuel 16, 11 for the first time, and it says this. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, these remains, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for, he will, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So again, that calling from God, coming to people who are about taking care of sheep. And he is called to be the king of Israel. Again, that great leap from an obscure person right the way to the palace. So David becomes the king that will finally, and this is the uniqueness of David, so 
who finally established the Israelites in the land. So this is, a, I believe this is a little known fact. That it's only under David that the, 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 the promise to inhabit all the land of Canaan is actually fulfilled. Joshua dies, leaving the land partially claimed. Under David and his conquest, you finally realize that he, he totally encompasses the whole land of Israel that was promised. And so it's only under David for the first time the land is established fully under their rule. An epochal leader. He now establishes a nation in, as, a, as a proper nation for the first time, having a capital in Jerusalem and being governance of all the people and over all the land. So such that Saul never had or any other judge before him had ever done. So David becomes that pivotal point in the history of Israel as in he now fulfills that which was promised to Abraham. They're establishing the land, a numerous people, and it's conquered. And this is the shepherd, the shepherd king, who does this. So how does Jesus fit in to this role and even supersede it? Well, one of the, th the stayings that we, well, may, maybe not so much these days, that if you need a job done, well, better do it yourself. I start off saying that. As already mentioned, kings and leaders came under this banner of shepherds. And even today, you know, our politicians and even the royalty come under that banner of being public servants. And to some extent, they use that same idea of being shepherds of the people. We're here for you. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here feathering our own beds. We're here to serve the people. But they all failed. In our own time, in the ancient world, and until Jesus returns, public servants will fail to fulfill this role of being, taking care of the people. As I said, I want to let the word of God speak because I think it says it better than myself. And we see, we see no clearer picture of this, of why Jesus needs to come, because Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 34, makes it so clear. So let's turn to Ezekiel 34, verse 1. And we'll read through, again, with the ESV. We're going to read this at length. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. 
The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, your shepherds, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have, no, have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. You see there? If I want a job done, I've got to do it myself. As shepherds seek out his flock, when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and will rescue them from all places where they had been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. By the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of the Israel shall be their grazing land and they shall lie down in a good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Do you hear the echoes of, of Psalms 23 there? I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So now it changes, and this is interesting. As for you, my flock, now he takes his eyes from the shepherd, and he's now looking at the flock, and he now wants to deal not just with the injustices of shepherds, but the injustices of fat sheep versus skinny sheep. Justice amongst the sheep. The Lord is different. And he does things perfectly. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, <clears throat> I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. You must and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, the, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. 
He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Isn't that interesting how it comes down even to the very sheep themselves? The fat sheep. The Lord says, it's not even that I just want kind of a a mixed flock. He wants the whole flock healthy. In other words, the issue that, I mean, one of the issues of today, isn't it? The equality. Jesus wants equality amongst the sheep. That there shouldn't be the fat sheep barging the other ones out of the way and getting the best pasture. That all should get the best. That my servant David is obviously interesting because obviously Ezekiel is not talking about David. David had died some, what, 400 years ago at the time of Ezekiel. So my servant David is a metaphor for the Messiah, the anointed one who will come, who will be part of the royal line. And so this is looking forward to the future. So Jesus now becomes the fulfillment of this promise of the sending of God's servant. David has witnessed particularly in John's gospel. So now turn with me to John 10. John 10, the good shepherd passage. So Jesus now becomes that fulfillment. Truly, truly, I say to you, reading from verse 1, sorry. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, I say, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is hired. He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, And I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have one sheep that are not of the, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So again, clearly within the context of John, John sees the fulfillment of Jesus as being this good shepherd. 
Ezekiel prophesied that there must come a king who will come and truly actually fulfill this. We know that David didn't fulfill this because David now abuses his people, takes a wife amongst his many other wives. And so David couldn't fulfill this. As good a king as he was, as a humble king as he was, there always comes that selfish moment. And this is the problem, again, with those in leadership. That there always comes this thing where I, I, somehow it becomes about them. But Jesus says the difference is that I will now lay down my life for the sheep. And the problem with all these other kings is that they, they merely are hired hands. There's nothing in it for them. I'm looking after someone else's sheep. Why am I going to risk my life against a wolf? Or a bear, a lion, whatever might come. So Jesus becomes this selfless leader. He becomes the person of infinite value, dying for people with less value than himself. But yet he sees that as a good trade-off because he is a good shepherd. So what does this mean for us today? The shepherds come and they witness the nativity and, yeah, that's great. And here he is, he's born. We see the history of, of shepherds throughout the highs. Kings like to use the term shepherd. The lows, it's a, low, it's a lowly trade. We see that just as is in Ezekiel's day, as, as it is our days, we see people pretty much living off us. Leaders that care nothing for us. But we see how Jesus has come to fulfill that promise of a good shepherd who will take care and even bring, as it were, others from other folds. That beautiful statement of that creating one Israel from all the different tribes from, of the people. So what does it mean for us today? Well, Jesus is not just the shepherd of Israel, but the church, which unites all the lost sheep of the world. 1 Peter 2.25 says this, For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The church is united in Christ, that which we all have in common. But we also find that leaders are also called to emulate the role of the good shepherd as well. It's not that embodiment of good shepherding is also important. Jesus we don't see. The Holy Spirit we have within our hearts, but the embodiment. Who's going to hold your hand? Who's going to laugh and cry with you when you go through your highs and lows in life? And that's what the leaders are called. And, even, and we don't just mean leaders as in those who merely serve at the front, but leaders within the church who, who want to be mature believers, to shepherd the lives of others, to be that embodiment. So we can't just say, oh, well, you know, God is your shepherd, let him take care of you. There's that expectation that we would embody that ministry of Jesus as well. So as he was able to walk amongst people and meet their needs, so we are called to emulate the role of the good shepherd. Where do we see this? Jeremiah 3.15 And I will give you shepherds after my own heart 
who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So there's that call for us today. Maybe Jeremiah is reflecting something God has said to you. Who are those shepherds after my own heart? We also have this in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and strangely enough, ESV, the shepherds, not pastors. That word is actually translated shepherds. Shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. So there's that theme. It's not just to leaders. It's for everyone to be mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head of the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joins and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's that call to shepherdhood amongst the whole body. Firstly, that five-fold ministry, but then ultimately is to bring the whole congregation up. And that, again, speaks to that whole idea of God now judging between sheep and sheep. That idea that there be amongst us fat sheep and lean sheep, that God wants all of us to be built up. And that's what he's shepherding even now, that bringing up and that raising up of all the body of Christ. There's also a danger of not being under a shepherd, of not allowing ourselves to be shepherded, either by Christ or even by leaders that God has raised up, at least to be in frontline ministry. We see this in Zechariah 10 too. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Again, it's not the fact that you won't be under anything. You'll end up, we are, we're all going to be under something. And if it's not a good shepherd, it will be under a bad one. Also compare this with Matthew 9, 36, isn't it? When he saw the crowds, that is Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you're not under the good shepherd, you're going to be under a bad one. At this time, it would have been one of the Herods and the Sanhedrin, who Jesus made very clear that didn't really care much for the people, but making a name for themselves. So we need to be under a good shepherd. Someone, again, even reflected as in Jeremiah 3, someone who God has raised up to take care of you. There's also that danger of just merely accepting Jesus as a saviour but not Lord. And that shepherd brings that whole idea of coming under the authority of, of he who is leading, to follow him. And this is 
the truth of Psalms 23, isn't it? That he will be my shepherd. Will we really allow him to lead us through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad, the high and the low? You know, we're currently in an age where people don't like the idea of themselves or anyone being under the lordship of another. You know, we're in that weird radical individualism where this whole idea of, you know, equality must mean that no one is under anybody's authority, that you're under your own authority. That autonomy is so obviously popular. But as Bob Dylan reminds us, you've got to serve somebody. And as the scriptures also let us know, if you're not under a good shepherd, you are definitely going to be under a bad one. So we've got to make care, make sure we are thinking about these ideas as we think about what it is to have Jesus as our shepherd and to be called also to be shepherds amongst the flock. To, ra- to nurture and raise up the lean sheep. Well, God will judge us, right? Let's end on um, reciting um, the 23rd Psalm together. And as we do it, let us do so, thinking about, I will allow God to lead me, not just through the good times, but through the bad times as well, that he is there. And this is one of those, those unique times where I'm going to say, let's do King James. <laughs> Let's do King James. Let's stand together and, and recite that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. Faithful in all your ways. You lead us, dear Lord God, and you've called, Lord God, even the shepherds to be a witness to that which, dear Lord Father, you will ultimately fulfill. And so say, surely, Lord, they were not there by accident at that nativity scene but we're called to remind us, dear Lord Father, that he who was a shepherd, he who was the son of, you know, the son of Jesse, who was called from those very fields to, to be the king, here was that fulfillment of the shepherd who would be sent. And here were the shepherds there to witness the new David, the true David, the true king, the true Messiah, the true anointed. And Lord, as we remember that this Christmas, dear Lord God, help us again to reflect on this whole idea of what it is to have you as the ultimate shepherd of our souls. May it encourage us as well, dear Lord Father, who are called to be Christ-like, that we also need to be those shepherds 
to be there to nourish people, to be selfless in that way. And even, Lord, as we may have opportunities, as, as, as Pastor B was saying there, God, over Christmas period, to serve the community around us, to serve one another, let us do so well. Let us do that, Lord God, knowing that, Father, we do it because we love you and we want to emulate you. So, Father, thank you for this time. May it be a blessing to our soul as we ponder these things and bring them to bear in our life and hopefully, Lord, produce works that will be fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.